Welcome, welcome, welcome to Staying Power, a show all about resilience, what it is and what it isn't, how we know if we have it, what to do if we realize we don't have it, or we don't have as much as we would like. Whatever the case might be for you, in the end, resiliency is a choice. Joining me once again to share our ideas and our experiences in helping others from literally around the world develop their own resilience is my friend, my colleague, my co-host, Tawny Santabria. Hi, Tawny. Nice to see you. How are you? I am doing pretty well. Hi. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing, JD? I'm great. Good. Yeah, things are good. Things are really good. I'm I'm enjoying everything I'm doing for the most part, and that is that's a nice place to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is excellent. Absolutely good. Good. Well, um, you know, having a show about resiliency allows us to talk about so many different things, and I know that's kind of the fun part of a show like this. And one of the things that I love about it is there are so many stories out there of resiliency. We're kind of drawn to them, aren't we? Like we love those stories. I think of like the story of the miracle on ice, right? 1980 Olympics, U S Olympic hockey team beating the Soviet union. That's, you know, we, that's held up by many as this great story of resiliency. And we tend to be drawn to them. You know, a lot of real life stories that get made into TV shows or, uh, things like that about resiliency. Band of Brothers, right? The great sure. HBO show, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, so because of that, in the course of this, I've been, there's so many stories that come to mind. And there's this story that um, I was wondering if I could tell you and our listeners today uh, about, that I kind of rediscovered. It's one of my favorite true life, true stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, put it out there and just see what see what comes up out of that. What do you think? So we're going to do a little story time, it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah, if you're, okay. if you're good with that. Okay. Excellent. Okay. Well, I need my blanket. <laughs> I'm going to have to go run and get that real quick and and a little snack for this. Okay. Let me get cozy and comfy here. Okay. <laughs> there we go. All right. And of course, you know, if, if, there's, if you need any clarifying, certainly ask. But um, I'm actually going to start this a little bit at the end and because I think it's important for how the story goes for people to know this part of the ending. It ends with a man passing away peacefully in Iowa City, Iowa in 2002. And he passed away with his friends, his family all around him and appreciative of him. And he was able to reflect on a life of value, full of love and service all these things. And it's important to put that out at the front end, okay? Because that's where it ends. It starts in 1919 in Poland. Okay, so we're going across the ocean. And um, this, this, young, this man's name was Janusz Bardak. And he was from Eastern Poland. And he was born into middle-class family. He had uh, members of his family were um, tradesmen, some were in law, some were in medicine, overall doing pretty well. But he was born into a really tough time, right? The rise of fascism, rise of communism, and Poland was sandwiched right in between the Soviet Union and eventually Nazi Germany. When he was about 14, the Nazis came to power in Germany and they targeted Jews, as we know, and he was Jewish. And so this was a deep concern. And then when he was uh, 20, 20 years old, 1939, Nazi Germany and the Soviet Union divided Poland in half, and he was in the Soviet-occupied 
section of Poland. And so the Red Army, Soviet troops, communist troops came in and occupied his territory. And he was great with that. Primarily because, yes, as a Jew, he was afraid of the Nazis. But he was a, at the time, a very idealistic communist, believing in getting rid of class distinctions. And he was a deep believer that every single human being had value and worth. And kindness was important. Justice was important. And seeing people's potential and helping other people was important. From a very young age, that's what he held on to. Well, he became disabused of that notion with communism pretty quick under Stalin. He was drafted into the Red Army by force, learned a whole lot of difficult lessons with that. And in 1940, he actually was captured for a short period of time by the Nazis and escaped a train on its way to a death camp. And so he escaped that. He got back to Poland, put it punished again, punished for leaving the Red Army, told to fight. And when the war broke out between the Soviet Union and Nazi Germany in 1941, on the very first day of the war, he'd been trained to drive a tank. He tipped it over in a river on accident and he was sentenced to be shot on the spot. So they sent him to the back line and he was supposed to be shot. But the guy who was supposed to shoot him turned out to be a good friend of his cousin from his hometown. And so this friend said, I'm not going to shoot you. Instead, I'm going to send you to 10 years hard labor in the Gulag, the notorious Soviet prison system that was essentially slave labor. And under Stalin, millions of Soviet citizens ended up in the Gulag for made-up crimes. And most of the, many of them worked to death. And so there was an awareness that Janusz Bardach had that this was, in a lot of ways, a death sentence. And so his number one priority, he wrote later on in life, was survival. But was, what was equally important to him in that was maintaining the elements of what he thought made him a human. Being kind to others, being courageous, and being open to possibilities. And I would, I would also add service, serving other people. Over a course of six weeks in 1941, he was shipped further and further east. He tried to escape one of the trains that he was on. It was... Captured again, nearly beaten to death, but spared because the officer who was in charge of him didn't want to go through the paperwork of, you know, I had to execute this guy. And he ends up in the notorious Kolyma uh, penal colony up in the Arctic Circle. And it's the size of Texas, or it was the size of Texas, and he was working in the gold mines. And it was well known that working in the gold mines was in the Arctic was a good way to die. And for the most part, that's what was expected. He got tuberculosis while he was there, and uh, he ended up going into the infirmary. And in talking with the doctor, who was also a prisoner, the doctor was working on him. They struck up an affinity, mainly because Bardock, again, wanting to be kind, wanting to reach out, not wanting to judge Somebody else wanted to know who this person was. They got, they struck up a friendship and Bardock lied outright and told this guy that he had been a medical student. And so could he stay in the infirmary after he got better to help people who got sick? And the doctor, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Yeah, you're not a medical student, but let him stay. And so he learned from this doctor about a whole lot of series of ways to help people survive illnesses and injuries. He helped the doctor stitch up a lot of the horrible injuries that would happen to people. 
and um, and also saw a lot of people, the whole lot of emotional trauma, mental trauma, and got the opportunity to minister to them, working with nurses, with doctors. And long to fast forward, he stayed in this infirmary for the remainder of his time in the gulag, which was only four and a half years, because when the war ended, his brother, who was back in Poland, unbeknownst to him, had become kind of high up in the Polish government, went looking for him, found him, got him out, brought him back to Poland, where Janusz Bardak discovered that the rest of their extended family had been murdered by the Nazis in the war. Instead of letting that break him, Bardak, learning from this experience of being inspired by this doctor that he worked with and inspired by what he experienced there, put himself into medical school under communist control, keeping his past secret that he'd been in the gulag. That was a good way to get in trouble in Poland as well as in the Soviet Union. So he kept that secret. And he became one of the best maxillofacial surgeons in the world, meaning he started working on kids with cleft palates and other things. And he became one of the world's foremost experts in cleft palate surgery. And in the early 1970s, after a whole career in Poland, was asked by the University of Iowa to come over and be a visiting professor. And being out from under the communist umbrella, having lived a life of kindness, service, <laughs> opportunity, came over to the United States and his, he, his career exploded. He helped create the Cleft Palate Center at the University of Iowa, which is now one of the best in the world. He published over a dozen books on how to do this and how effectively to do this. He taught in over 20 different countries in his life and performed literally thousands of surgeries on young children from around the world uh, to fix cleft palates and a whole number of other things that children had to deal with. Um, and that's what he did. And no one knew this part of his story until he retired. And somebody said, you need to turn this into a book. And he said, okay. He knew some people at the University of Iowa. He was right there. Some historians there were completely gobsmacked by this story and said, yes, we will help you do this. And what ended up coming out of it was a book called Man is Wolf to Man, and then a subsequent book, Surviving Freedom, that this was, this was his story. And the one thing he said in it that got me thinking about this, Tawny, was he said his experience in life, particularly that horrible five-year period, even longer than that, but that five-year period in particular, People say it teaches you the, the terrible things about humanity. And yeah, he said, yeah. And at the same time, it taught me at the same time to my core the importance of being sensitive and staying human. And that made the rest of his life doing the things that he did so much clearer and smoother and easier. Mm -hmm. That's the story that comes that I wanted to share. That's a pretty incredible story. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, you know, I'm always fascinated by, um, you know, you mentioned the the values, kindness and, and service and opportunity. I would say not that this would fit under a value, but I would say he was pretty lucky a few times. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. So there, there was a healthy amount of luck on his side along the way. <laughs> yes. um, but I'm always so interested in, in where the values came from in the first place, mm -hmm. right? Like those values that he demonstrated that you talked about were instilled in him. Yeah. Even as a little person mm -hmm. on some level or another, whether it was a conditioning kind of 
you know, we, you know, the family holds these values. And so everybody in the family holds these values. And it was um, um, modeled, maybe, I, who knows, like, we don't know that part of the story. Um, but I'm always so fascinated about how those come even into play, because we're all so unique and different. And clearly, without a doubt, he had a purpose for his lifetime. Because the the impact that not that some of us do and some of us don't we we all have a purpose for our lifetime but we all have sort of different purposes for our lifetime yeah and 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 when you've got somebody who has experienced these kinds of roadblocks and luck has shown up mm-hmm. and also the um, resiliency that sort of you know that definitely had been there way before the story even started yeah mm-hmm. today yeah um there's there's a there's you know some of us are just meant for a larger purpose on a global scale <laughs> right right and 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 so it's just but i just love to hear also about how those values get how they're manifested yeah um it, that way too because certainly we can all agree that um kindness is a great value Mm -hmm. um some of us express that more than others Mm -hmm. um and um you know service is a great value and some of us express that more than others but we're all wired differently also right so kindness is important service is important but you we might also be really uh, might be wired for something like um you know logical perspective Mm-hmm. Right. So that we can share a sense of logical perspective around very difficult and challenging things right. to help a larger um, community or group or family or something like this, too. Mm-hmm. So um, we all are going to have a different mix in how those values are expressed. Um, but but I love that 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 he he just had quite a design in him. Mm-hmm. that that was destined almost it's almost like he was destined for yeah a, yeah accomplishing you know, yeah and you this. know I, i've wondered that too because you know we we've heard we know the stories of a lot of the guys you know the, the survivors of of nazi death camps ellie Wiesel and others primo levy those are those are names that we all know victor frankel those are famous names and all went through something similar just under the nazi banner rather than the soviet and what I found fascinating about Bardock's story was the values that he put forward that he had from, you're right, it was from a very young age, from his family. He was, he was, not, a, he was not a practicing Jew, but certainly culturally he grew up that way, um, and that was part of it. To me, what's fascinating is that in a system that was meant to strip away people's sense of humanity in order to get what it wanted, he still holds on to those even when the whole system is pushing people to, to break them apart from each other and to turn them effectively into animals that are just interested in survival or submission. And he held on to these things, the willingness to be kind, the willingness to serve, the willingness to not engage. And there's story after story that I didn't get to of his fellow prisoners going in directions that he refused to go. And he said, I will not go there, recognizing that it might cost him his life. And he tells the story in several times in the book of other people who felt like him, who just weren't as lucky, mm-hmm. right? Who never made yeah. it out. 
in that sense. And so, mm-hmm. you know, and then to see it come full circle when he passed away, the, the, the obituaries were written for him in everything from the New York Times that it picked up on the book to the medical community, all talked, you know, all talked about everything that he did, but they talked about how thoughtful and loving and kind and sensitive he was and the values that he instilled in it and helped instill in his family. So it kind of came full circle, right? He started in Poland with these mm-hmm. things, goes through all of this, holds on to it despite the worst possible circumstances, and then keeps it going in another generation of his own family. I just, that combination of things just always amazes me when we see that. People willing to mm-hmm. hold on to these things, even when it puts them at risk of being ground up and destroyed in anonymity in a system that is meant to do that. Oh. Don't you don't you feel like that's the systems that have been meant systems meant to do that have been around for a really 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 long time? Oh yeah, yeah. like almost for, since the beginning of human existence. Yeah, they've just the, what they do and how they do it, what it looks like, and all. Yeah, that it just is different, yeah. mm-hmm. but it it's still because there's if yeah for a lot of different reasons there's that need to. Um, you know, there's that need for power. Yeah. And so control. when there's a need for power and control, there's a lot of things yeah. that um, we try to take from the human spirit. Mm-hmm. Right. From humanity, like you talked about. Yeah. And, and even we see, we see some of that, we see that happening today even. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And so then it does come back to sort of on an individual level, like how are each of us keeping or even bringing awareness to our own values yeah even in the midst of feeling like maybe there's no space or no room or no appreciation or no um uh, no no space no no ability to to demonstrate these values right like i i i you know over the years of meeting with people for so long, the the stories that have been shared, um, you know, certainly maybe not on the larger scale like what we're talking about with with today's story yeah. in this in this podcast, but that that having to experience adversity and experiencing struggle and and to try and and needing to figure out, okay, so how do I maneuver through here? Um, for, for, you know, my own survival and also then, then how do I move through this in, in the best way that I can for my family or for my future family or for my parents or for my community? Um, I think that we are hit with some of those things regularly, maybe just not on the grand scale again, um, um, but yeah, we're we're fighting for our survival, aren't we? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, and it's mm-hmm. and and that is one of the you know one of the difficulties of a story like that is that it it is even though it was a very common experience for people in where Bardock was at the time, that extreme that extreme is is tough to replicate in our own minds. It's one it's it's even difficult when you read it and studied it the way I have. At the same mm-hmm. time. I think that's what the draw is, right, is and what we look at. Like, oh, and it's not to say, look, you have nothing to complain about. Look what this guy went through, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's more about, okay, 
whatever they might be, how does one confront those choices of how to be? When, you know, particularly when you are literally against the tide, right, in that. Mm -hmm. Literally have no protection, no advocacy. No one even knows you're there, right? I mean, to, to me, that's the, that's the fascinating part because what it does tell me then is, okay, if it is possible in that regard with a whole lot of other factors, luck being major among them, what does it mean for us? And asking that question for each of us, I think it brings me back to the same thing you just mentioned. What are the things that we know we, we hold to be true as our utmost values? What does that look like? How do those play out in our life? Are, they, are, they, are we bringing them to bear in our work, in our family, in our life? What are the difficulties in doing that if we are not? You know, it's, it's the kind of an orienting kind of story, right? For this kind of question about values, the, the story like this can kind of be a North Star kind of story. Find, take a look at the story like this, find your bearings, and then where do you navigate with that for yourself? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and, and that, that, that's why that awareness is so important, yeah. right? Like, so, so it, it could be really easy also to say, oh gosh, I haven't had all of those experiences. I don't know what I would do in those experiences. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm just sitting over here. Um, so I don't, you know, that, that feels big. Yeah. Um, but if we dial things down to the things that we do every day, the other piece of that too, I think is really important your story today is that there was another person in, in so many scenarios that you mentioned today, there was another person that's part of the luck, but there was another person as a part of his story yeah, that helped him to you know, experience his own values in the face of adversity mm -hmm. that gave him opportunity mm -hmm. that allowed him to, uh, context with which to be able to serve. Yep. And then he was able to grow through that too. So that's the other part of it is, um, you know, valuing those relationships um, and, 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 and growing, growing with them and, and through them in a way that we can, you know, understand better our own values, but also grow our even skills and capacities. Yeah. yeah, it's a tremendous point. In fact, he said he said later in life that that captain who was supposed to execute him, it turned out to be a friend of the family, said to him, I'm sparing you because you're from a really good family and you were always good to us. Mm -hmm. You know, and then connecting with a doctor who saw something in him. Right. Yeah. And that connective piece, you know, so how you establish and maintain those relationships matter in ways that you just can't anticipate. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's powerful stuff. Um, you know, I've, it, again, I, the, the story is, there's a lot, there's a lot more to it in terms of the detail. And, and I r highly recommend everybody read that again. It's called a man is wolf to man. It's a, it's a great story, but it is not for the faint of heart at times. So just, Keep that in mind. But looking back on it, <laughs> Donnie, when I was from this lens, it was such an uplifting story to read. And then, you know, and for all those kids, I keep thinking of all those kids that he helped and the families that he helped who had no idea any of this. They were just appreciative of somebody with the skill and the heart and the willingness and the, you know, and the willingness to share and teach other people how to do it. To me, it's, yes, it's a big story. And it's a rare story, but um, if it, ha I mean, that, that doesn't make it any less true because it's singular, 
right? Or any less human because it's rare, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and it, again, it, it we're all human. Mm-hmm. So any human stories, <laughs> right. <laughs> we can, we can relate to on some level if mm-hmm. we are, are, are relating to the humanity piece of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and understanding that, you know, we're, we're all in different generations also. We're all, you know, on this planet at different times too. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and coming back to um, engaging with our values, I don't know what those are, but with our values can, can help us through adversity and, and uh, increase our resiliency. That's what we're here to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and when we talk about bouncing back, that's a story about bouncing back. <laughs> from from something Mm -hmm. so yeah it and it kind of brings it back around right these are the these are the things i think we're drawn to these things for a reason you know these these types of stories because i think they do connect us across space and time and experience and country and era you know and there's something to me in that that is uniquely hopeful and uniquely exciting about our potential as individual people and as in groups from small groups all the way up to the largest groups. And I know for me, that's why I think this is one of the most important things that we can be talking about and developing Mm -hmm. for ourselves period, because it shows that underneath all the stuff that we divide over, fight over, argue over, you know, you know, separate over. We have these common threads that are very strong and go back a whole long way. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well said. All right. Well, thanks. Mm-hmm. I, I did you enjoy your blanket and your snack? Was that was that? Well, to be honest, I didn't have time to go get them, so <laughs> I'll I'll be prepared. I'll be prepared next week. <laughs> it happens next time. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks, thanks, Tony. Thanks for all that insight, and I'm glad you liked the story, and it was it was kind of mm-hmm. fun to share it. So thanks for letting me mm-hmm. do it. Yeah. All right, and thank you for listening to this episode of Staying Power. Remember, if you missed any of this episode or any other episodes, you can get this as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for subscribing, for reviewing, for sharing with your friends, your family, with your social networks, anybody you think would benefit from hearing about how they can develop more resiliency and everything that comes with that in their lives. And remember, if you subscribe to Staying Power, in the middle of every week, you will get a short little mini podcast called The Four, Four Tips on Something, Four Ways on Something, Four Simple Things that you can apply in your daily life to see what that does for you in terms of building your own resilience. And you can only get that if you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We will be back next week with another episode of Staying Power. Until then, I am JDK Winnikin. And I'm Tani Santabria. Glad you enjoyed the story. See you soon.